Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. to the direct-to-video connoisseur. As always, I'm Matt, and as always, I'm joined by Jamie. Jamie, how are you tonight? I'm doing very well, thank you. <laughs> All right, excellent. So uh, we were just talking, Jamie, about how you've got a, a busy week here um, as far as uh, moving, and you're talking about having some cats to move and everything. And um, one thing we were talking about, because we, we did have some technical problems that you uh, people that are listening live just heard about, but um, uh, because you are moving... The next two weeks, um, you are going to be away. Yes, I am taking a hiatus from podcasting, which is really bizarre <laughs> for me. I don't, I've never had this much non-podcasting time uh, that I'm about to have. But yeah, you got to do what you got to do. So yeah, um, I'm going to be away. And are you going to be having a guest in my place? Yes. Yeah, so here's the plan. Um, next week, I'm, I haven't found a guest yet for next week and if you're listening and would like to be a guest for next week you're more than welcome but i might ask a couple people see who's free next week um and then um the one before thanksgiving is up in the air um it's possible i might have a special co-host for that one um the one before thanksgiving um if not i may not do um a show that week we may just take thanksgiving week off um so we'll see what happens or that's not thanksgiving week is it the week after is thanksgiving week yeah, um, Thanksgiving week, I'll actually be up there and settled, but I don't know if you'd want to, since our show is actually the night before Thanksgiving, I don't know if it would be yeah. easier to not have one since, I don't know what you guys' plans are, if you're going to be traveling no, or anything. No, we're just sticking close to home. We're going to have our first, you know, married Thanksgiving together as a couple. Aww. That's right, yes. <laughs> Jen, uh, Jen got a very nice big roasting pot from her job uh, where she used to work. Um, it was a you know a consignment shop, so we can't wait to break that bad boy in. Well, that'll be exciting. Yeah, so 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 maybe we will have one then the twenty sixth. We can do like a, any kind of a you know anything goes type of thing. Or, you know you know how that that day is. Remember when in school, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving break, it was always kind of like a anything goes. You know you usually watch a bad you know you watch a movie or something like. Oh yeah, I used to love those days. Yeah, yeah, and then you'd go away. You know they. Well, maybe we can do like the same thing, like a, a nothing day or something like that. <laughs> okay, well, we kind of did that this time. <laughs> right, we did, yes. <laughs> we did, we 
he did. Well, that's the thing. I want to before we get into the movie. I have a few other administrative things. I, I want to apologize for not getting last week's episode up sooner. Um, that one we also had technical difficulties um, because our show was haunted or something, um, and so it took me a while to cut out what I needed to cut out, um, and then to get it up and, and going. Um, but finally, it is there. The episode is there, and I realized too. Um, the one we did the week before, La Horde, um, that one I hadn't put on the archive page. So the archive page is now up to date. Um, any of the back uh, episodes you want to check out, you can download them all. Go to uh, mapmovieguy.com and then look on the left-hand side. You'll see it in the sidebar. Um, there's an actual archive page. And then the RSS feed also has um, the five most recent episodes. Sounds good. All right. Well, yeah, so this film that, that we chose, that, that, or that I, I suggested for us, um, this is um, an Albert Pion film, Brain Smasher, A Love Story. Uh, Jamie, initial thoughts on the film. What did you think? Uh, well, I thought it, was, it started out strong, mm-hmm. you know, like I was into it, but then it just seemed to drag, mm-hmm. um, and it was just more of the same, right. you know, them running for a while and then stopping and fighting some ninjas that weren't ninjas and then running for a little while longer and then stopping and fighting ninjas that weren't ninjas. And after a while, I was just like, why? And I checked the timestamp at one point. I'm like, why is there 26 minutes left in this movie? Mm -hmm. Um, And it just seemed to be more and more and more of the same. But uh, I like Terry Hatcher and I like Andrew Dice Clay. Um, Lynn Shay showed up in the beginning for a mm-hmm. brief period, and we even got some Queen Kong, which was hilarious yes. to me. I did not know <laughs> she was in this movie, yes. and I saw her, and I'm like, "That's Queen Kong!" Because I used to mm-hmm. love Glow. Yes. I loved oh my God. the yes. shit out of Glow wrestling, and yes. I was a huge fan. And I, it was wasn't that long ago that I watched the documentary mm-hmm. about Glow wrestling, so um, it was just kind of funny when she popped up. Uh, so there were some nice moments. Um, there was the running gag about them not being ninjas, right. which after a while, I was just like, all right, whatever. <laughs> you know by now they're not ninjas, yet you keep calling them ninjas. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think with that joke, I think that was a joke Albert Pion was making about the fact that um, Yuji Okamoto, and I think actually all of the Chinese um, characters, I'm not sure exactly, but I think all of them were Japanese um, playing Chinese, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he was making fun of that part of it because you know himself, um, Albert Pyong being Asian, I think maybe he he experienced that, you know, being you know Asians all being lumped together in one group, and so. Um, but you're right. It, it was like it was a great joke, but you know, it kind of it went on a bit and on and on. Yes, and on. <laughs> yes. Uh, so by the time I got to the end, I just was kind of bored with the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, it was um. It was definitely a product of its time, mm-hmm. and uh, it's uh, and honestly, I had never heard of this movie before. I didn't know anything about it, so I was, you know, glad to have seen it. Yeah, this is one that you know I I totally see what you mean about the um the repetitiveness of it, um especially as you get to the end because it is like chase win chase win or you know chase escape. I don't you know exact that kind of deal, um and um. You know, even for an hour and a half long film, um, you're right. When you get towards that that 50 minute mark, hour mark, you're kind of like, okay, what else can they do? Um, there were a few things that he did to mitigate it a little bit at the end that I liked. Um, for example, the fact that it's Andrew Dice Clay's character, the sort of the hero 
Brain Smasher, who's the one that's captured, and it's up to Terry Hatcher to rescue him. Um, I like that twist in it. Um, but yeah, you're right. And I mean, you know, there's certain aspects of it that you're just kind of like, okay, um, too much. But on the other hand, like you said, it's a product of its time, and I like that about it. I like that um, it really has that, that 80s kind of action romp feel to it. Um, I like the music. Um, I like the actors, as you said, Andrew Dice Clay, Terry Hatcher. Um, it has a huge list of what we call uh, Albert Pyun mainstays. Um, guys like uh, Yuji Okamoto, of course, um, Tim Thomerson with the um, the mm-hmm. cigarette. Yeah, the, the, the yeah the Brian called him out. Did he? Yes, Tim <laughs> Thomerson. Yes, uh, Pyun loves him. Um, uh, Brian James is one he's had in a few. Um, Nicholas Guest, I don't know if you noticed him. Uh, he was one of the other detectives. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's another mainstay. And then uh, Deborah Van Valkenburg, um, who you might remember from, uh, what, what was that show? With, Too uh, Close for Comfort. That's exactly. That was just... <laughs> and uh, also The Warriors. Yes. And, yes. you know, is she if you've seen her recently, um, which I saw her a couple years ago when she did the, um, the special features for The Warriors release. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, I love that movie. But um, <laughs> that she did uh, some special features that, and she hadn't aged very well at this point. But then watching her in this film, I was like, oh, she hadn't even aged very well at this point, and yeah. uh, she was looking a little rough. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. see, yeah, we get um, on Antenna TV. I think it is. We get too close for comfort, and um, and I noticed that you know Deborah Van Valken. You're right because that's only about ten years before this movie was made um that show was on and you're right like you know at that time she was you know she was ted baxter's daughter i mean she had that look too she was young um you know she she looked younger than jim j bullock of course you know i mean she had that look to her and and now she's you know a professor in this film and and so you're right about that that was um you know something that i didn't notice until i'd seen episodes of too close for comfort recently and i was like whoa there she is well you know yeah, and she of course played that. She wasn't. The, she was very pretty back then. You know, she mm. was a, a pretty girl, but she wasn't the right. pretty sister. You know, she was the, the the other sister was the one that was like the pretty and the stupid one, and she was the smart one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to love that show. I haven't seen that in years, but oh, um, it's you watch it on Antenna TV. It is, you know, I bet it doesn't hold up well. <laughs> it it doesn't. It doesn't. I the the whole like. I mean, you know, I, I think the whole thing with, um, you know, Jim J. Bullock and in, in, uh, I keep calling him Ted Baxter because um, from Mary Tyler Moore. Right? From Mary Tyler Moore, yes, yeah. But um, <laughs> the, the, their interplay is is still still holds up. That part of it is still good, and um, you know, I, I think that aspect of it is kind of what anchored the show. And so, if you watch it now, it, it's still good enough on that level. Okay, yeah. I know a lot of shows. Um, because of things like TV Land or Nick at Night, back when they would show actual old shows, mm-hmm. I mean, because now you can watch Friends. I know. On, on yeah. and I'm like, that's not old enough. Stop it, you yeah. know. Oh. Um, I used to love it when I would get to see things like Car 54 and mm-hmm. you know the Many Loves of Dobie Gillis and things like that. Think things that are actually older shows. Mm-hmm. But um, back what was I talking about? <laughs> oh. Thanks to shows like thanks to those channels, like you would get to see like things like Three's Company, which actually still shows on some of those. Yeah. And what I would notice about those, if I had been away from those shows for a very long time, and then I came back to watch them, at first they didn't hold up very well, but then 
if I kept watching them, then the old charm sort of came back. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine this would probably be the same way. Like if the, if I watched a couple episodes, I might be like, oh, what was I thinking back then? Yeah. But then after I settled into it, I would probably like you know remember what I loved about it yeah. back then. You know the one that didn't hold up for me that I found out on uh, Sunday. Um, Sunday usually um I work Sunday mornings, and then Jen and I um we have our brunch together with the Brady brunch. We you know they call it the Brady brunch on MeTV. Um, and so I didn't have any classes this Sunday, so I got done, you know, with my morning stuff very early, and we kind of, uh, did our morning brunch, um, before the Brady brunch started, and Saved by the Bell was on, I was like, well, you know, Saved by the Bell, that seems like a fun one, and having just watched the, um, the movie, right, the Lifetime thing, I was like, okay, you know, let's do that, um, and that one, I was like, wow, why did... Why did I watch this show when it was on, when I was, you know, like, like there's no, you know, like, I mean, you know, it's one thing to see a clip here or there and be like, oh, that clip was funny. But, you know, watching like Zach was like really conniving and really, I don't know, he was, he was a villain, really. He wasn't a good guy. Um, you know, Slater was not much better as, as being, you know, as far as being likable. And those yeah. pants, those wrestling, like those weightlifting pants that he would wear <laughs> all the time. Or whatever, yes. Ugh. Yeah, and Screech, I never thought he was charming. I always no. thought he was annoying. Yeah. Jesse got on my nerves. I really, I never really cared for the characters in that show. I was never a big one. I was always a, a 90210 fan. I was of never course. that much of a big Saved by the Bell fan. But I watched it enough to be able to be nostalgic about it and to be interested in watching the Lifetime movie that came on. Yeah. But it was never like a big thing because honestly, they all just annoyed me. Yeah. <laughs> you I know, and did, I, you know, they annoyed me too. I guess I just. It was on, and I watched it. I don't know. Um, yeah, like you said about 90210, um, you know, they, they do marathons of that on uh, the TV Guide Network. And it's like, man, I, I have to go to work. I need to work right now. I've got to go teach a class, and I can't pull myself away from these. Yeah, I, I, I watch some 90210. Yeah, I, will, exactly. I will watch the hell out of 90210 yes. now. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, some you're right. Some of them hold up. Some of them don't. And then some of them are ones where, like, what were we doing watching that show? You know, it's just... Doesn't make any sense. Oh, so. So brain smasher. Yeah. So back to brain smasher. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, I I think the the first thing for me was um, I really liked Andrew Dice Clay's character in the, in the movie, and um, I don't know, he was his name was Malloy, his last name was Malloy, even though he's supposed to be Italian, I guess. Um, and I you know I don't know if he was or not. I don't know what he was, but it was just kind of like Pion just kind of stuck a whole bunch of uh. Um, stereotypes just threw them all together and just gave us this guy, this character, this sort of a uh, working class hero. Um, and and I thought that whole thing worked. I really rooted for this guy. I really wanted him to uh, take down all of these Shaolin monks or ninjas or whatever we were calling them. Yeah, I mean he was a good guy. I mean they made the point that you know he would never even drive without his registration. He's never broken a law in his life. He doesn't believe in using guns. He's a nightclub bouncer and he loves what he does because he keeps the peace and and he's very proud of his job. I mean he's just a good guy, you know. Yeah, and that that kind of thing works. And then, you know, Terry Hatcher, um, you know, I think this was maybe like just before um, she really came on, you know, doing like Lois and Clark and those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, she works well as sort of the, you know, I don't, you know, I guess the the model that is thrust into the situation, but has the wherewithal to get out of it. And, and in fact, she kind of sees something in our bouncer ahead of time that like causes her to try to sneak into the club 
um, and maybe try to get his protection. Um, and so I thought the two of them worked really well together. I like that pairing. And, um, you know, Pyon, as far as, you know, like you said, it, it becomes repetitive. And in that sense, we, we kind of lose, um, it loses its charm a bit. But I think when it first gets going and it kind of moves through it, um, it, it, it definitely has that ability to really, um, you know, you feel like you're watching any kind of uh, late 80s uh, adventure film, like a showdown in Little, to- or um, uh, Big Trouble in Little China or something like that. Yeah, or like even like a quarter main movie or mm. uh, something like that. There's a, there's the goofy action going on between the two of them. There's a lot there. There's a lot of brawling, but no one really gets hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, they just fight a lot. You know, I mean, they did they did have the now the the first time we saw Wu catch the bullet and then he threw it at the cop. Did it actually shoot him in the head? I yes, mean, like, did he? OK, that's I what it, I thought. I think so. I, you know, I don't know. I think so, though. But then nobody really gets hurt really bad in, in, the, in this movie. I mean, it's just all very like today. If you take an action film today, you've got people getting their heads blown up and mm-hmm. split wide open and body parts flying everywhere. So it's very clear that they're dead. Mm-hmm. And back then. You know, it was mainly just people getting beat up a lot, and then they would, you know, bounce right back. So you'd have these these monks that were, and there were some fun sequences, like in the police station, when, um, you know, the, the you had that corridor sequence where the cops would come popping out of the room, and and the monks would beat them up mm-hmm. just in uh, in succession, just going down the hall, and there were some fun moments there. Uh, the fun moment when they're in uh, Ed's apartment and then they get tossed through the wall into the next apartment, which belongs to his landlady, right. Ms. Bellows. <laughs> and she was fun, you know, because she it's clear that she had a good relationship with her tenant, which I thought was really sweet. And he's like, you know, I'll patch that up for you tomorrow, Miss Bellows. And so I was like, oh, that's nice. He knows her name. At that point, I didn't realize she was his landlord. I just thought she was his next door neighbor. That's what I thought. But um, he said, you know, I'll patch that up tomorrow, Miss Bellows. And I'm like, what a sweetheart. You know, he knows his next door neighbor. He knows the lady who lives next door and he's nice to her. You know, and I always like it when big tough guys are nice to little old ladies. And so I thought that was a sweet moment. And then when he said, use the one, two, and then Miss Bellows actually tried to do it. So then I'm like, oh, well, not only does he know her, but he's actually spent time with her and he's taught her how to protect herself using the one, two thing that he invented. And I thought that was sweet, too. And then we find out that she's his landlord, but he's like, you're a great landlady. You know, so they have this really nice fun little relationship going on. I thought that was a fun sequence. Uh, she was a fun character. Um, so th- things like that. And so in the beginning, I was really into it, and I was enjoying it. It was very 80s. It was very uh, – it was goofy, but fun goofy, you know. And it wasn't until I'd say it was past the halfway mark when I was just like, all right. <laughs> you know, this yeah. really isn't going anywhere. You know, it's just the same stuff over and over again. But in the beginning, I was there. Yeah, well, you know, that's one thing interest. You know, to, one interesting thing to think about too with Pion is um a lot of times with his movies he um he he grabs things from the past. Um, you know, he likes a lot of uh you know he probably would you know he likes a lot of films from the fifties and sixties that he grew up with, especially uh lower budget ones. And so um you know he might like you know like you know think about Alan Quartermain or even just thinking about like um some of the, the those fifties adventure movies. And sort of like merge it with the 80s style, um, you know, Indiana Jones or 
uh, Big Trouble in Little China type thing. Yeah, Romancing the Stone, Jewel of the Nile, things like that. Exactly. And so I think that was maybe what he was looking to do, is sort of merge those two ideas. Um, And then, you know, if you think about those movies from the 50s and 60s, um, often they weren't that long. Sometimes they were only a little over an hour, the lower budget ones. Um, You know, you think about Mystery Science Theater 3000, they would have that short often in the beginning before they would get into the actual film because the film was so short itself. Um, and, and I think part of that is the fact that the story itself would get repetitive if, um, if they kept it going. And there wasn't the impetus back then to make a movie 90 minutes just to make it 90 minutes. We saw that last week with House on Haunted Hill. I was going to say that. Like, we had exactly the same thing going on there. They made it as long as it needed to be, and that was all they cared to do. They just wanted to make the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, Jen and I, um, sometimes uh, Jen likes to... Uh, relax with a, a bad uh, Christian film on Netflix just to kind of, you know, because they're goofy and they, they don't take a lot of thought. And so we kind of sit back. Last night we decided to watch one and kind of, you know, poke fun at it and stuff. And it was <laughs> it, it was worse than Brainstorm. There go all our Christian listeners. Like, exactly. Well, the movie itself was bad. You know what I mean? The movie, no, like, I know from it. a filmmaking standpoint, I don't was think bad. we have any really. I, we probably don't, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we're watching the film, and essentially this char- this guy, David A.R. White, who makes all these movies, his character wanted wanted to be somebody else. He, he was married with kids, and he wished he would, like, gone out and lived his life like crazy. And he um he he wakes up, and he's it's like a whole quantum leap thing, right, where he's, like, living other people's lives. And I guess he's supposed to get perspective on his own life by doing that. And um, Della Reese is in the film. She plays um, this rich guy's uh, maid. And he, he finds himself in her body with her whole family there. And this is at about the 45-minute mark. And, you know, it's a really great scene with her family. It's her birthday, and, and you know, she's got her grandkids there and everybody, and they all love her. And I, I thought that that was going to be our message, like, boom, right there. You know, the, the, the most exciting adventure you can have in your life is to have family and have kids. And when you get to the end, you're going to have them there to support you. I thought that was our message. And instead, the film proceeds to go on for another 40 minutes of him quantum leaping into other people, even like fish and babies. And it was just and then it's like him going back after and like trying to get all these people to come to his church because he's a pastor. And it's like one of those things where you're like, okay, this is where the movie ends. This is where you want a good, clean break. And maybe this is where we need to start wrapping it up. And um, I think, you know, with this film, maybe because I had that film last night when I watched this one again this morning, I was a little bit more like, okay hour mark, um, 75 minute mark, I can handle another 15 minutes of this, but I see where you're coming from, that like sometimes these, you know, 90 minutes is not necessary, you can you can do what you need to do, get your message across um, I think this one could have been you know, 75 minutes, and I think it would have been okay, um, you know I'm trying to think where it, it gets repetitive probably about the part where um, it gets repetitive at the part where they leave the, the the apartment, right where they get smashed through the apartment. Um, all that's happened, right? That I think is it after that that they end up at the police station because I was still oh, on board right. while we were at the police station. Okay, so it was really when we got to the church, when we got to St. Luke's. That's when I was just like checking out. I was like, so the, well, when la, we got to St. Luke's, we were almost <laughs> at the end, though, right? That was when we were close. Mm-hmm. We were we were almost ready to it was wrap when it I up. Ch- I think that's about when I checked, and there were still 26 minutes left. And I was right. like, what is so, happening? <laughs> so what happened was was we had a longer ending than we needed. 
That was way longer an ending than we needed. Okay, because we ended up with the final showdown, which lasted, God, I don't even know. It was was very long. About 20 minutes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it was really long. And then so you've got the sister up there talking. Like she spends the whole time in the church talking to her sister about the lotus and the powers and all of that. And then you think you're close to the end, but then you're really not. And then they end up... You know, on the stage with the where, where they've got him captive, and mm-hmm. um, she's like negotiating for his life, and then you know, she's shooting at the, she shoots out the light, and then you get the whole thing where um, he's like, "Oh, you used a gun." Well, then like he's rescued, they make the trade, and you, you're like, "Okay, here we go." Well, no, we don't, because <laughs> then there's still more, and yeah. you know, he tries to take the flower and ends up, or eat the flower, and then ends up getting poisoned. I'm like, my God, come on. Yes. <laughs> when is this going to end? Then they're still talking to the sister. And then the sister finally decides, oh, she's like, I'm going to Burma. And then she leaves. And uh, after the other, after um, Samantha says, what, are, when, what am I going to tell the parents about Christmas? I'm like, why do we care about this? We don't care yes. about this. Yeah, you're going to Burma. Go. Yeah. And then they still, then we're still not done because they still have to have that end scene with Andrew Dice Clay and Terry Hatcher where they discover that they care about one another. And Which was, was a like, little longer than it needed to be too, right? Oh, because yes. he goes to kiss her and she turns away and he says, well, okay, yes, I can see why, you know. You wouldn't want anything to do with a guy like me. And then she's like, you don't know what you're talking about. And I think we're all kind of like, well, didn't you like him or love him? Like, why did you pull away when he went to kiss you? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, at the end, we could have we could have probably gone through the church quicker. Um, I, though I did like the joke where Seinfeld's mom, uh, who was playing Andrew Dice Clay's mom, I did like the joke that she called um, the monk's cell phone because she'd yes. gotten the cell phone number earlier in the film, you know, so that she could call if you know, to find out how her son was doing. Um, I did like that touch. But yeah, when we got to the finale, um, you know, because really, when we got to the finale, um, we, we were really just kind of getting ourselves to that part where Deborah von Valkenberg gives him the fake, gives Yuji Okamoto the fake flower. Um, and so, yeah, we, we didn't need, you know, it was really just a matter of how much, how, how much it was going to take to get us there. Um, and, but we knew what we were... We, we didn't know the twist. We didn't know what twist was coming. Um, though I guess we did. We did get that foreshadow, didn't we? Which, about the the fakeness? Because they showed a flower outside of the church mm-hmm. before they went in, right? Yes, and... I mean, I kind of figured... It, it just sort of made sense anyway that there would yeah. be something like that. Like, she wouldn't... Because they're, they kept saying... I mean, several times it was said, you know, why are you things like, why are you going to trade? Why would you trade ultimate power for an Ed? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> and it's just like, that's a very good point. Mm-hmm. Why would you do that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of obvious, I think, that that's plus it was made. The point was made several times throughout the film that she's really smart. She always knows what she's doing. She's a botanist. You know, she's she's very clever. So I don't think she would just sort of hand over the this ultimate power flower. Right. Um, for the dice man. You know, for an Ed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of felt like, you know, so that was coming. It just took way too long. It took a lot longer than it needed to. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point because we did get there. I mean, I thought this – I like the strip club scene even. Like you said, um, we, we had uh, – Queen Kong. Queen Kong, I was going to say. I think she was also Debuher, um in uh, – I think she did roller derby as well as wrestling. 
Mm-hmm. I think she before she she was a member of Glow. She did a uh, '70s roller derby. Yeah, and can you imagine the yeah. the kind of damage she oh. would have caused on the rink? Because oh. man, I mean, um, I know a lot of roller derby girls, and um, I actually was this close to being to doing roller derby myself and then i just had too many other things going on i always have too many other things going on and there's but i want to do everything you know so mm-hmm. uh but anyway they're and they're always getting hurt i mean yeah. they're always getting and these are just regular sized people getting getting hurt all the time yeah. and i can just imagine her just like tearing through and she'd be slinging people left and right and uh, that'd be a mess. Well, I, the one that I saw, because this was like that 70s roller derby where it was like wrestling, where everything was staged, um, you know, the, the, the games. Were, yeah, yeah. But uh, she was like, a, I think she was a coach or something, and like she was getting into it with his mascot. There was like a chicken mascot that she was like fighting with, and the whole thing was a trip. So it was like, it was, I, I don't um But, you know, I think she was kind of one of those things where like, you know, a woman of her size and stature um, in, in, um, there, there, there were certain jobs that she could do, and I think you know, being um, like you said, in glow and and doing that. I mean, she'd be it was perfect for her. And, uh, and like you said, seeing her in this film, I was like, oh, there she is, you know. And you you knew she was gonna take out the Shaolin monks, you know. Yeah, because she's a force. Yeah, she's a mess. And I was so that was a that was a bright moment because at mm-hmm. that point. I had already begun begun to like okay like how many times how many different locations right. are we going to be in randomly just random locations you know club here you know police station there apartment here another club church another club where were we at that where was the last place we were with a stage was that a club or was that, that a was a, cl- that was a zebra club that was okay where, yeah so yeah. it was just it was just so many locations but it was just the same thing like they'd show up and then they would do some fight and the fighting wasn't all that fantastic there yeah. were there were a couple of funny moments the first time when they went into the club they chased her into the club where she first met Andrew Dice Clay and then you know they attacked the stage and mm-hmm. so then they were like <laughs> <laughs> flying <laughs> over onto the drum kit and uh, there were you know there were a couple of funny things there but for the most part, it wasn't anything all that exciting. It was just a, a few tosses, a few punches, a few, you know, nothing really fantastic. I mean, there was not a lot of really awesome fight scenes. It was right. just the same sort of thing over and over again. And, you know, I love – and that, but I love martial arts films. You know I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love, um, I love great – like great choreography and martial arts films and we just didn't really have that here it was just sort of um i don't know i mean they one of the cops even said when they're at the police station he's like will you just just drop this chop socky crap and tell us the truth and i'm like that's kind of what it reminds me (laughs) only chop socky films were usually much more fun Mm -hmm. but you know yeah i was trying to think because i know peon has done some good martial arts ones um but you know like he's it seems like it's always a um, an interesting thing where some of them have like the really good fights, but the film itself is a, you know like this one it was kind of a you know maybe because Andrew Dice Clay um, is not a, a, a martial artist maybe he had to tailor, but you know it would have been interesting if he had another character um, in the film that could do martial art you know uh, played by an actor that did martial arts and then he could have a couple scenes like that that might have been interesting. I think so. I think that would have helped because what you had here was some martial arts against a thug mm-hmm. who was just, you know, sort of punching him and, and 
all of that. And it wasn't, you know, and there was actually one scene where we, I think we're in the, we might've been in the hallway of his apartment building or it could have been the police station. I'm not sure where I think it was the, the apartment building where uh, someone came out of nowhere and he, and, and you see Ed fighting them. And in the background, Terry just takes out this guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's, you see her punching him, and then he's down on the ground. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Two seconds ago, she couldn't even do the one-two. How did she get this guy? <laughs> but it was sort of in the it was in the background, and it wasn't the, the main thing you were supposed to be looking at. But then as they're walking away, the guy sprawled on the ground, and she did that all by herself. Um, and I was just like, huh. I was like, that's funny, because they did this whole buildup about her not being, you know, she's a model. She can't fight. You know, and he's trying to teach her how to protect herself. And so they did all that thing. And then here, just two minutes later, she's she's taken out this guy in the background and nothing is said about it. Like there was no he wasn't like, hey, good job or wow, you did it. Or, you know, I kind of expected him to say or there to be a something because right. she just took this guy out on her own. But they didn't even pay attention to that. They just kept on going. It's like, OK, so all that buildup was really for nothing it did it it didn't matter yeah you know that's one thing with uh with pyun um with his films he likes strong female characters uh in his films and i think in this case it may have like you said like in in scenes like that it may have been a detriment you never want to say that it's, it's a detriment to have a strong female character but i think he didn't set it up right here um well that yeah i mean i think if if we had started out with her and she'd been like an ass kicker mm-hmm. from the very beginning, then I wouldn't even have noticed. And I would have been like, Hey, that's great. You know, cause I love watching women kick ass. You know, that's, yeah. that's a good thing. But if, um, you know, you spend a portion of your film with, you know, making it clear that she's a, she's a model, not a fighter. And, and, you know, she needs his protection and all of this stuff. And then a little bit later, uh, she's, you know, taken out some Shaolin monk, <laughs> I'm like, well, well, it just didn't seem, it didn't, it felt, felt kind of weird. But yeah. then at the same time, it was almost like we weren't even supposed to notice because it was, like I said, in the background. So, like, we're, we're I don't know, it just felt kind of out of place. Yeah, I think that's, you know, it's one thing, like, you know, it's it's interesting when you when you watch um, Pyeon's films, especially, like, from, from this period here in the 80s, like, sometimes he would just kind of, you know, put it in there, just kind of, you know, like go you know just go with it like hey let's just go with that part or go with you know or or he would um he would throw in something that he liked from something he'd seen before and uh just just go with it and uh you know one thing that that i've always um liked about his films and i you maybe go as far as they admire that he um he he always throws more in he always tries to go for the extra thing and um sometimes it doesn't work um but i always appreciate that he's he he wants to put that extra thing in or he wants to go you know as opposed to um just kind of trying to go the safe route with so many things he likes to go that extra step but you know i think sometimes like you said sometimes it um it betrays it and i think here um and you'll if you watch more of pion's films you'll see that kind of thing might happen where something just betrays uh what you you would have expected that character to do yeah yeah i don't think i'm i don't think i'm familiar with his films uh, overall, what else did he do? Jeez, well, it's interesting because like um, the, well, the two that he's most famous for um, his very first one was the Sword and the Sorcerer. Oh, I know that movie. You know that one, yeah. yeah. So, so that one he's most famous for. He just tried to do a sequel to it, um, Tales uh, of an Ancient Empire. Um, and Lionsgate released it. I think it was Lionsgate. Um, and he he said it was edited in a way that he did not 
um, care for. He kind of lost the um, and and of course you know I get some re- people who comment on my reviews when he says something like that that oh he's just trying to pass off that the film didn't go well onto the distributor but it is something that happens to him. Um, the other film he's known for is Cyborg and that one definitely um, he he lost. Oh, the- the Van Damme movie? Yes. And, okay. Yeah, and that one, he um he actually released his own director's cut. He found um a copy of the original because um I guess like he had this idea in mind for the film, and then um Van Damme just like took it from him and brought it to the producers, and they recut it. They they cut it to the way that Van Damme wanted it, and it was not his movie. Um, and so he he just released the director's cut of that recently. So, um, you know, he's one that you know I've had a chance to talk to about, and he'll he'll be very um, forthright if the mistakes were his. Like I tried to do this and it didn't work, or I thought I could do this and it was you know a bad idea on my part. Um, and then he'll be also forthright if it was something else that happened. You know that somebody took it from you know in the in the final process they didn't like his idea and they thought to change it and do something else with it. I always appreciate that when a filmmaker is forthright, one way or the other, you know, when they're not, when they're willing to admit their own mistakes. And then at the same time, if somebody does them wrong, they're not going to be all kissing ass and and covering up about it. They'll just be like, look, straight up, this dude, (laughs) this is what happened. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have a problem with that. You know, I think that um, honesty like that is something that we don't get a lot in the industry because people are so afraid of stepping on toes or burning bridges or pissing someone off that they, you know, that it might hurt their career. But I always appreciate it when people are just straight shooters and tell it like it is. And see, that's why I'm not a Van Damme fan. See? (laughs) I know that was just, I don't like that guy. Yeah. And that was one, you know, I didn't know about that either. And of course, you know, um, part of how I came to Pion as a director was, you know, Cyborg. I always kind of liked that movie growing up. I got a kick out of it, or you know, always enjoyed it. And then when I found that out, I was like, oh. And then you know, um, when Pion got a copy of when he was able, somebody found one of the masters of you know from way back that you know that he of his version of it, and so he kind of was able to put it together. Um, the other thing with too is that his friend um, Tony Ripperetti, who uh, did the score for this film and scored a lot of of his films. Um, he his score was removed from the film as well in the final cut, so he was able to to um, put that score back in. And so yeah, so you know that's one thing that you know Pion like he's you know there you know a lot of times like uh, like um, I reviewed a movie of his um, called oh I can't think of it now. It was he he had this urban trilogy of films he did where he took uh, some rappers with him to uh, Romania and shot some some films. He shot three films there in Romania. Um, and he sent the the reels back via Air France, and one whole box of reels were lost. Oh um, wow! Yeah, and so the distributors demanded a film. They wanted films, and so he did his best to create three films for them. And so, of course, these three films—I think they're still on Netflix. Um, the last I'd heard, these were like the films that were on Netflix. Were his, you know? I mean, now of course, Brain Smashers on there as well, but um. I remember those three were always on there, the Urban Trilogy, and I would feel so bad because you read the reviews and they're just scathing because the movies came out horribly, you know? Um, And I reviewed one of them and I was like, I'm doing the review and I'm like, you know, I've done Pion's films before and they've always been a certain quality. Um, You know, this this looks like a bad student film. You know, this looks horrible. Uh, What am I looking at here? And turned out he told he said well that's what happened that's why it looks like a bad student film because I had to do the best I could and um you know so it was kind of 
late 90s, early 2000s, so it was just before um, computers were becoming much more used, you know. Um, so he, he said, you know, if he'd had it to do over again, he would have had, he would have used some more of the activity, or the, the things that he could use now. Were um, they, um, those films, were they set in Romania, or were they just shot in Romania? They were set in, like, New York City, but they were okay. shot in Romania. Or actually, I think okay. one of them was set in Eastern Europe. Um, but I think, the, or maybe they were all set in New York. Um, but yeah, there were three, three urban films. Um, I, I think one of them was called Urban Menace. Um, you know, one had Snoop Dogg in it. I think he played a ghost. Um, you know, they all had, Ice-T is an actor he's used a lot. Actually, he was one of the first directors to use Did he play a cop? No, he, he played, a, <laughs> no, he, he, he played gangsters in all of those films. And, uh, in some of them he was really good. They were really good gangsters, but, um. Yeah, he. Um, no, he's... My favorite Ice T line ever. Here it comes. <laughs> I want to shoot you so bad, my dick's hard. <laughs> From New Jack City. New Jack City. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> I'm trying to think of another. If we had one, in... man. Yeah, that one. I think you're right about that one. Okay, Urban Menace, Corrupt, and Wrecking Crew. Those were the three films, and um, yeah, all three of them had Ice T in them. Um, Ice T's done, I think, like ten movies with him. Um, but yeah, the, the three movies, they just, um, one of them, I don't know if it was Corrupt or Wrecking Crew, one of them, Ice-T plays the villain in it, and he just, like, channels, it was kind of like New Jack City, where he just channels, um, you know, all of that, you know, where he grew up, and, and the, 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 the real thugs that he grew up around, you know, the real, real bad guy, you know, real kind of, uh, that guy that you don't want to be around, that scary, uh, gangster guy, and he just channels all of that, and every time he's in the room in every scene, and uh, it's just so disappointing to watch, you know, the film I think is like 65 minutes long, um, because of, you know, that's what's footage, the footage that's left, and you're just like, oh, I, you know, and you know that Albert Pion's probably thinking like, I had all of this great footage of Ice-T doing all of this stuff here that I wanted to use, and it just was not there, you know? That's a shame. Sounds like he's gotten a raw deal on a lot of his work. Yeah, well, he, you know, he'll, like he's, like I said, he, he's very open about the films that he made mistakes on, that he did bad jobs on. But, you know, I think with the low-budget film world, you know, you learn that um, there, there, you know, things happen. Um, I know I've talked to other people in the, in the, that, that part of the business um, that have said, like, you know, yeah, this is, you know, like, um, there's this guy, uh, Johnny Sullivan, a screenwriter who um, I've talked to. Um, he wrote a film called Recoil that had, you know, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Danny Trejo in it, and he's very proud of that film, and he said, you know, that one, it's almost my entire script. Like, they did very little to change my script. Um, and so the whole thing is on the screen. Whereas he also did the uh, two of the Prophecy sequels. I think there are four and five that he did. Um, and he said that it's, like, the basic idea of his movie, but the director, and he knew that director is one who changed uh, scripts when he got a hold of them. Um, he said, you know, the basic premises are his, and he got the screenwriting credit, but, yeah, that they're, they're, the director changed them quite a bit from what his original vision was. See, like, sometimes you don't even want the screenwriting credit when they do. Yeah. <laughs> I guess yeah. it depends on how the movie comes out. Yeah. Did you see the director's cut of Cyborg? I did, yes. I have a copy of it. Is it better? He sent it. it it's different. Um you know, I, on some levels, it is better. Um, it's it's darker. It's much darker, and um, you, you may you may have enjoyed it more because it's it's not the action. It's not like the um, sort of the um, the out and out action film that you know it, it became in the end um, that it's known for now. It was darker. It had um, you know, Van Damme's character was in it, 
as well, but he, there was a little more focus on some of the other characters in the film. Hmm. Uh, you know, the 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 main baddie who's played by Vincent Clint, he was a lot darker. He was like this kind of like this reverend in some church of Satan in the future. Um, and he was just really just a bad, bad guy. Um, and so a lot of those aspects of it, you know, he really ratcheted up a lot of those things that um, were really turned down in the, the final cut, and then the action aspect was turned up in those ones. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, the, the cut that, that we got, I mean, it's like, you know, it looks, you know, I think, I think for a lot of it you can see the little counter on the bottom. Um, you know, because he was still kind of cleaning that. He just kind of got it out there to us to take a look at, but, you know. Interesting. I would be interested to see the difference, mm. you know, between the two. Yeah, I'll have to see if I can, I can you know, always send you the copy that I have. You can take a look at it and see, um, you know, or see if I can make a copy or something like that, or, you know, however that works. But, yeah, it's it's a very, you know, um, you, you don't, you know, from, you know, for us, you know, we grow up outside of the industry, we grew up just going to the video store and picking up our movies, and um, we don't know that other side of it, like what happens on the other side uh, with these films, what goes on behind the scenes, how things get changed, how things get edited out, um, and it's always interesting to hear the stories about what goes on there. Oh yeah, I mean, you could there could be a film that you grew up and you just you might hate the filmmaker, like from this example of his work and then you find out years later that that's not his work that's not his fault it, you know in all this time you've had this disdain mm-hmm. for him and it's like oh poor then you feel bad it's yeah. like, i'm so sorry but you know you can only really judge what you're given yeah you know can you do yeah exactly exactly yeah and you know another thing about albert Pym, how gracious he is um he did a film uh a while back now i can i'll oh, call mean guns um and it was essentially like um in it, uh, it was a, a film that took place in a prison where um, it, it also had Ice T in it. It had Christopher Lambert um, and Deborah von Valkenberg was in it as well. Um, but um, it was, you know, all of these gangsters um, are all thrown into prison and they kill each other for a prize. They, they're supposed to win like um, a million dollars or something like that. I don't remember what the prize was. But I remember the first time I saw it, it had some film effects in it that I didn't like. And so I didn't know who Albert Pion was. And I called, I said, uh, the director looks like he, you know, did car commercials or something like that you know something really bad and inflammatory like that and he never mentioned it once he never you know and he was very gracious about the fact that i put him in my direct video connoisseur hall of fame and he was like oh you know you love you know i love i i i, I love that you like my movies but i don't know what that means because i you know i, I i'm happy that you were able to survive them saying that they, his movies were so bad um you know, joking about it, but uh, he came to me a little later because he was putting out a director's cut of Mean Guns, or a new version, and he wanted me to go back and revisit the original one, and he, again, he didn't say once about some of the things that I said about him in that review, he never brought them up, he just said, you know, do you mind giving it another look, and he joked about how it was on Netflix, so I wouldn't have to worry about paying for a copy of it, oh. uh, you know, so, because he knows, like, in my reviews, I talk about that, how I want, you know, a free copy, but, um, you know, and I watched it again, and I remember saying, I was like, you know, I... You know, I, I did a much more thorough job in reviewing it the second time through, and I, I still have the original review up there so people can see both. But, um, I, you know, I, it, it really taught me a lesson as far as, like, you know, how these reviews are, are taken. And also, but it also taught me a lesson as far as, like, how good, you know, I mean, he could have easily gone into my, ch- you know, the comment section of that post and lit me up for, for saying that about him. 
and um and just started a whole thing and I probably would have gone back at him about it and you know it would have been a big thing and instead he had like a Jim Wynorski moment there it, <laughs> yeah does he do that Jim Wynorski he... oh my goodness yeah he gets into like brawls with people on the internet who uh who bashes movies oh I didn't know he that he just he just he's just like right he gets really angry and he just flies in a rage um but yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, see, I didn't know. So I, I've done, I've, I've done maybe like ten Wynorski films, and I don't know if I've ever killed any of them, um, or said anything to, about him like that. Um, it's possible too, because I think I did most of my Wynorski films after this whole uh, experience with Pyun. But um, it's, you know, I could see, you know, like, like with Pyun, if you know, if he had done that, I would have, you know, it's possible that I probably would have gone through all of his films and just like give it, you know, I, I would have been objective about it but there would have been sort of a slant or a bias just because that's human nature and instead it's the other way around right now I'm much more sympathetic now I am you know I see his films and I I start to kind of see what his vision might have been and account for that uh, when I review them and and I give them more leeway I think in that sense um, again I'm still objective but I'm you know I'm gracious you know I'm it, the way that he was so gracious I feel like I I, I need to return that to him you know that, that I, I owe him uh, a better look at his film than to just kind of like try to make myself look good by making fun of him or whoever in the film, you know? Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> I've always been honest in my reviews and I still am, but I'm not nearly as scathing as I was years ago. Like say 10 years ago, I was, uh, you know, I would just be like, like, Rawr! you know, um, now I try to, take a like take a step back and and think about maybe what was going on at the time give them a little bit of a benefit of the doubt um depending on who they are but when um when i reviewed automaton transfusion the stephen c miller's first film that uh had some really nice moments but it was clearly a first film there was a lot there had had a lot of issues and when i did the review i wasn't mean about it but i pointed them out and he contacted me and said, you know, thank you very much for your honesty. I appreciate that. And he's like, I think you're absolutely right in the points that you hit. And from that point on, though, now I just I I really appreciated the fact that he wasn't angry about the stuff that I pointed out. He wasn't upset about it. He was, you know, he took it for what it was, which was just a I'm watching this film and this is what I'm seeing. And there were some major issues. And he's like, yeah, I totally agree with that. So and I have a great deal of respect for him now. And um, he recently did the, or I guess it was a couple of years ago now, the um, the remake for, oh, the Christmas horror movie. I can't, Brian, help me. <laughs> the, the Christmas horror, like a, a famous Christmas horror film? Yeah, it was. Um, like Silent was Night, Deadly Night or Silent, something? Yeah, and, yeah. He, and his is called Silent Night. Mm -hmm. But it's basically a remake of, of that film. And... It got panned by a lot of people, but I, you know, because of the way he had, he had interacted with me, when I watched it, I was a, a little bit more, you know, I found myself being a little bit more forgiving because I knew who he was and where his heart sat at a, at a, as a filmmaker, you know, and I think it makes a difference. Yeah. You know, it makes a difference in how you see their work, you know, and if you know, like with Winorski, I have no problem at all. <laughs> Just, <laughs> just laying it out there as far as a Wynorski film goes because mm -hmm. um I, I know how he can be and I'm just like he doesn't he doesn't see anything you do as as like uh as constructive even if you're nice about it 
uh, he just doesn't like anything being said negative about right. his films, and he gets really nasty about it. So I have no problem at all just being like, "Rah, this sucks!" If it mm-hmm. if it does, um, I happen to really love Chopping Mall. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I really do love that movie. But a lot of I am not a big fan of Wynorski on the whole. Yeah, well, that's like um, you know another director that he's been paired with a few times, uh, Fred Olin Ray. Um, he was very gracious about a, a good review I did of um, a film that he actually did with Wynorski, uh, Dinosaur Island. Um, which I was like, oh my god, he he liked the review, but uh, he did a film um, a while back called uh, the something like Je- it was a Jesse James movie. It was about Jesse James, and it was really it really just felt like um, the whole like um, the South got a raw deal in the Civil War kind of film, which to me <laughs> it just it's it, it it they gloss over the whole slavery aspect of it, which I think is kind of a a bad thing. And it just it, it felt gross. Like the whole thing felt gross. And I kinda let it be known that that felt gross. Um and he never said a word about that. But it was one of those things where I was like, oh Fred Olin Ray really liked my review of Dinosaur Island. What was the last film of his I reviewed if he clicked on my the tag of him and sure enough it was that Jesse James movie and what that I just completely killed him on, you know, it was like talking about how how horrible it was that he, uh, <laughs> you know, was doing some kind of Civil War apologist, you know, gone with the wind crap kind of thing, you know, that was just grossed me out, you know. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. And also that film has a, an actor in it, Tim Abel, who uh, he did a movie with Mark DeCascos that, uh, you know, who we talked about a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah. 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 And he was like amazing as the villain in that. And I remember um, looking through my blog posts and seeing that he had – he was following me on Facebook. On, he was following the blog on Facebook, but he had he had put my review of his film on his Google Plus thing, um, and so he's like, he really loved that review. And again, it was the same thing. I was like, huh. Well, I wonder if he, you know he really liked that review. If he looked at what the next film, and sure enough, it was that movie, that Jesse James movie that I completely killed. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know they they respect that. That I think like when you give them a really good review like that, and it shouldn't work. Maybe it shouldn't work that way. That you know you have to give a good review to get. But I think if you're honest about what you see in the films, um, that too, you know. And if you're, again, if you're not like, um, you know, like like I did with Pion there, where I, I made the comment about him being a car commercial director or something like that, really, you know, really bad thing like that. But I think if you stay above board, um, you know, that's the only thing you can do. And if someone like a Wynorski gives you a hard time for not liking the film for various reasons, um, you know, I think in that case you can feel good that, you know, listen, I... I was just doing what I was supposed to do here as a reviewer. Yeah, and I think if you if you go through and you just completely shit on everything they do, then um, and it's clear that you just are not giving them a chance, then that's probably that's one thing. But if you like if you really like one film and then you don't like another, then I think they can probably tell that you don't have anything against them personally. You just for whatever reason, did not like this film, but you did like this one. So you're giving them a fair shake. Mm-hmm. And I think that most filmmakers uh, appreciate that. You know, They understand that uh, everything they do is not going to be for everybody, but as long as you give them a fair shake when you're doing the review, then they can, prob- they can appreciate you know, your opinion. And, I mean, that's how I would look at it. You know, it's like, oh, you didn't like this one, but you like this one. So obviously yeah. you are at least fair about it. You know, you're not just giving me crap for everything I do. So you're you're actually taking time to look at it for yeah. what it is. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think one thing with, with Pion is, you know, having talked to him. And I guess when you think about all the, you know, people we come in contact with, um, uh, you know, with these when, when we do these things, um, you know, whether it is a, a director or an actress, actor um, or writer. 
um, you know, I think when you start to talk to them and they kind of give you an idea of what what their influences are, or what their vision is for what they're doing, um, I think that also changes it too, where you're just like, okay, you know, this is what he's going for, or she's going for with this film. And so I can allow for a little bit more, you know. I'm not going to just go out there and kill it. Um, and I'm not saying it's one of those things like you didn't get the film or you didn't get what they were doing. But I, I find, too, that, you know, you almost, um, when you've had that sort of um, experience with the, the person, that you can kind of uh, not let things slide, but you, you understand a little better what they were trying to do, whether it worked or not. Um, you can feel a little bit better that, like, they didn't just throw that in there to throw it in there. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, I also I, I hate that like blanket argument too. Like if someone doesn't like something, right, then there's eating. the whole that blanket. Oh, you just didn't get it. Right. Well, exactly. you know what? As a filmmaker, it's your job to, to make sure that I get it. Exactly. You know, it's your job to convey the message you're attempting to convey. And I understand that sometimes that there are constraints. You know, there are either budgetary constraints or time constraints or whatever. You know, maybe your actor got sick and couldn't be there for whatever reason. <laughs> I just watched a movie. <laughs> I watched a documentary about um, uh, when they were attempting to make Illegal Aliens, the movie with uh, Anna Nicole Smith. And uh, that was a train wreck, you know. And so, like, I understand that sometimes things go on that are beyond your control. And it's going to affect the outcome of your film. Like maybe an entire box of of your nice. reels got lost, you yes. know, and, and there's nothing you can do about that. But at the same time, then, <laughs> then don't just be like, oh, you just didn't get it. Well, right. I get it. <laughs> I get it. Or I'm, I'm, I get what you put in front of me. Yeah. But um, it's your job to put in front of me. Some, you know, if you want to convey a particular message, it's your job to make sure that message gets out there. And if you don't, then it's not my fault. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, I think with um with those movies, with those urban movies that that Pion did, um, I always kind of like I try my best to, you know, for a little while I was kind of going into the comment sections when other people reviewed them and saying like this is why the film didn't work or so why it was bad. But I think that's the thing, right? Is it's like, you know, I think he would admit he would say, listen, these films are far from my best work and in fact I think he's embarrassed that they're out there because he didn't you know these are not movies that they're not they're not movies that he would have made you know given under under any other circumstances you know um, and I think that's kind of the thing where it's like on the one hand you want to be like oh I understand you didn't have uh, you, you lost a whole box of, uh, of reels and so that's why these films came out the way they did but on the other hand you don't want to be like oh okay well because that happened now I like them right you know we knew Oh bad. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like oh, I, oh okay, I understand. I well, understand. then it's an awesome movie, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, I you, I feel I feel for him, and I want to get the word out there that so that you know because that's unfortunately that's his name that's associated with these. These are Albert Pion, you know, an Albert Pion film comes up. That's when Alan Smithy comes into play, right? <laughs> One of the most prolific directors ever, mm-hmm. <laughs> for exactly those reasons. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, no, you know what? No, thank you. Because I do feel bad for him that your name is now attached to something that you're not proud of. And yeah. it's for something that you had no control over. Right. And so, yeah, at that point, then I might just be like, I don't know who this guy is. And I think, yeah. you know, what's interesting is like someone like Winorski, who has like 17 different pen <laughs> right, names he that he makes movies under. Um, and what he explains it as, you know, he he was making six or seven films a year mm-hmm. at, at one time. And he didn't want his name to be on six or seven films a year just because it would – he thought it would 
it would look funny, you know, and then people would just be like, oh, my God, another Winorski film, you know. So mm-hmm. the, the only reason he said the reason that he says he used as many names as he did was just to keep from saturating the market with his name um, because he was just he was working that much. Um, but then it's like then you have to wonder, well, I would imagine that the ones you were really proud of, you'd want to put your name on it. Right. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's funny, speaking of Wynorski, um, there was a film called Bad Business, and I don't know if this was part of, because um, it, it's not a, an official part of that um, urban trilogy, but uh, it's one that, um, I guess, um, Wynorski finished for Pion, because Pion's not listed on there, but Wynorski is listed as the director of it. Um, and I don't know if that's a similar deal, where he was just like, you know, I don't want my name on this. And Wynorski was like, fine, I'll have my name. I don't know how that worked. It doesn't say in there. But that's one I always remember, is that you look up Pyun, um his, his filmography, and there's this film, Bad Business, spelled uh, business spelled with a, a Z, uh, business. But um, it's got, like, Master P in it and a few people like that. And I think that was one where Wynorski did it or something. Or I don't remember if Pyun did it and he just didn't want his name attached. Um but yeah, so there there are some like that that have happened, where you know, because I, I guess they kind of probably swim in the same circles on some levels. I don't know. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, a lot of of the lower budget guys do. They you know, they it's probably very incestuous mm-hmm. in in a lot of ways. But yeah. Well, as for um, what brain we smasher, watch? brain yeah, smasher. smasher. That was the one we watched. Um, <laughs> Yeah, overall, um, I think it it did have its moments. It was, um, you know, I like the characters. It was charming to a point. I just felt like it went on too long and uh, took a little longer than necessary to get to the point, you know. Yeah, it it just, it it may be that that last scene. Maybe if the finale and the church go a little quicker, if we we don't have as much of the... um, you know, I mean, I, when I reviewed it the first time, I gave it like a, I loved it, and um, I think you know, Brian said it was way, way too long. Yeah, I, I think, I, you know, for me, I, I really love this movie. This one's up there with some of my favorite um, Pion films, probably like maybe third or fourth among his 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 films. But um, it um, I, I really love this one, but I I can't argue with the end. I think um, you know, when you get to the church, that's when it needs to be like boom, 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 and we're out. Um, because we, it took us so long to get to the church to begin with mm-hmm. that um, I, I can agree there that maybe it trim 10 minutes off of that. And um, you know. then that was another interesting thing, thing to me is it, when, when she first met Ed and she's trying to get, you know, she's asking him to get her to the church. Yeah. It's still the night before. She's not supposed to be at St. Right. Luke's until noon the next day. Yeah. But she's like in a hurry to get there. Like mm-hmm. hurry up and get me there. And he's like, well, we have to make a stop first. And she's like, yeah. what? Make a stop. And I'm like, you've got like 12 hours yeah. <laughs> you know this church is like 15 minutes away i'm sure why why are you in such a hurry yeah um but then by the time we got there i'm like god why didn't they hurry <laughs> <laughs> yes. well the other thing i was going to say too is um it's not like they were doing the uh, uh portland oregon bureau of tourism a favor by doing all these location shots because uh the locations were not good places um you know, no. I mean, you know <laughs> it was there, like the cd tour yes. of portland <laughs> there could have been, there's no pals bookstore no uh voodoo donuts um of course uh, i think at that time the black velvet painting museum was still open um which unfortunately is closed i was able to go there when i went to um uh portland in 2009 for my 30th birthday I visited my sister in seattle um but uh yeah so you know 
there were some I, I saw some things I recognized in Portland but most of those areas on um, my day trip to Portland I, I didn't get a chance to get to um, I'm sure you didn't miss anything no it doesn't look like it concerning the areas that they were in right yes <laughs> yes my one story I'll tell a really quick one about Portland um uh, I went to um, this pizza place and they had these like kind of good sized pieces of pizza and I ordered two I wanted two to eat and the guy behind the counter he was like your smug like Portlandia Portland guy He's like, oh, you want me to wrap one of those? And I was like, no, I'm eating them both right now. And he kind of looked at me like, oh, really? you know. So, of course, to be a jerk, I not only ate those two, but went back and ordered a third just to <laughs> eat that third one. <laughs> so that was, that was, that was, I mean, of course, Powell's Bookstore is really great. Um, you know, Voodoo Donuts, you know, you get yourself a, a donut with uh, Fruit Loops on it or something like that. That's always great. But, yeah, be careful of the smug pizza guys. all right well so we're kind of uh we we went over a little bit um but uh so now as far as uh administrative stuff jamie this might be one of the first times that you have less than i do for upcoming stuff yeah i um yeah i've got some stuff that i'm gonna be doing but um there's really the 100th episode of skeleton crew is now out last time we talked it was going to be released on halloween it's out now and that's basically a best of clip show of the previous 99 episodes um and you know that's i think pretty much it i've got some stuff i'm going to be recording but nothing really is out there right now yeah well yeah, I know this is it, it's strange. Usually, I know this, but at least uh, the skeleton crew, that one is now. Now, where is it's um, where do you download that one? That's not a horror that, horophilia one, right? Yes, it is. Oh, uh, yes. That's at horophilia.com. Uh, just look under the skeleton crew. Um, yeah, I didn't even do a playlist last night. I noticed that because I when I logged on, nobody has been on Mixler since our last show. Yeah, it's um. It's uh, this week has just been nuts, and I've been exhausted. The time change also throws off my clock and wears me out, and has me going to bed early and getting up early, and it irritates me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've just been exhausted this week, so I didn't even do that. Yeah, I. Um, yeah, I noticed the last time when I did a playlist that um, no one had been on since our show. Yeah, you I, know, so it was our show, and then nothing until. Um, until my playlist the next week. Yeah, so it's kind of one of those things where I don't know who listens outside of uh, Brian and and Jen, um, and then occasionally we get like uh, we get Beefy Beard or we get Ryan Lewis uh, listening. But I, I don't know who listens live as much as uh, it's almost like we do. Um, we're doing our podcast recording that we you know I post our our, our podcast um, you know on on Talkshoe. But it's almost like we're doing our recording live for, you know, friends and family to listen to. And then everybody else gets it after, you know, they get the, 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 the podcast after because, uh, yeah, we don't really have, you know, Mixler seems to have, everybody else around us in the second unit on Mixler has, uh, it looks like they've faded out a bit. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it's like a ghost town around here. <laughs> no, exactly. Keeping it alive. Yes. But. Now, um, as far as me, um, like I said, next week I'm, I'm going to try to line up a, a guest host, and then the one after, that second week, I might have a special guest host. Um, we're still kind of working that out. We'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, but next week um, we'll have a guest, and um, I haven't figured out yet what we're doing for that show, but there will be a show, a, a live show next week. And uh, as far as the blog, again, I'm really sorry. Um, I need to get those 
get, get caught up on those. We need to get the killing season out there. We need to get, um, at least this is one I've already reviewed on the blog before, so um, I won't have to worry about getting behind on this one. But I do need to get out there and start writing some more, so uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get caught up on that again. All right, well, have fun the next couple weeks without me. Well, it's only going to be so much fun because, again, this is the show. It seems to be the the best pairing is you and me doing the show. So it is, uh, it, it's going to only be so good, but we're just going to be kind of <laughs> treading water until you get back, JB. I'll try not to stay away too long. All right, well, hopefully not. Yes, hopefully in two weeks, you know, we'll do that before Thanksgiving episode, perhaps. The, yeah, I hope so. We'll call it the School's Out episode. all right well everybody thank you for listening i hope you have a great evening and jamie uh, good luck the next two weeks and i look forward to seeing you after that thank you very much Uh, you guys take care tell jenna said hi all right goodbye everyone bye That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.